Father, thank you that there is one who is worthy to open the scrolls because he has redeemed from every nation, from every people, from every tribe and every tongue a kingdom through his death and resurrection. He is worthy. So may Jesus be big now in our midst as we open his word and see his grace play out in real life. May you love your people today through me as I speak your words to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, so much for leading us this morning. Many of you know that is, we've just sung my favorite new song. My favorite old song is Amazing Grace, and my favorite new song is Is He Worthy? And I, wow, I know what I need to, to, um, to really cheer me up so that I can preach to you this morning. So if you'll look at the screen, this is our grandson, Wesley. Many of you have been asking about him, how he's doing. You want to see pics of him. And I've put many of you off for so many weeks. So here he is. This picture was just taken, I think, yesterday. This is our first uh, grandson, Wesley. And that's the chuckle face he has. I, I love it. He is a happy baby. And we're just so thankful to God for his grace in our lives. And I'm thankful that you're here this morning. We need to hear what this text in Mark chapter 8 has to say. So I encourage you to open your copies of the Scriptures to Mark chapter 8. Now I have good news for you, and that is those of you who've been with us since the beginning of our study in Mark's Gospel, which we began last, uh, this past January, we are halfway through. All right, maybe that's good news. Maybe that's bad news. Maybe you're like, man, I'm enjoying this so much, just following Jesus and listening to Jesus and seeing Jesus. I don't want this to end. Good news, we have another year left. All right, working our way through Mark's gospel. But this is in Mark chapter 8. This is the midpoint in Mark's gospel. And it's no, it's no accident that it's one of the high points of Mark's gospel as well. So you follow along as I read for you, beginning in verse 22 of Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read down through verse 30. Now, I'm not preaching verses 27 through 30 this morning, but I am alluding to it. So you follow along in your copies of God's Word, please. And they, that is Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand. And led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went out with his, or went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is the word of our God. I once was blind, but now I see. If you're a child of God by faith in Jesus, that is your story this morning. So let me ask this. How many of you require eyeglasses or contacts to see clearly? Raise your hands. All right, you can put those hands down. How many of you are supposed to wear eyeglasses and contacts, but you don't? All right. So obviously, I fall into the category of needing eyeglasses to see clearly, and I have since undergoing my sports physical all the way back in seventh grade. I had no idea how poor my eyesight had become. And there, standing in the hallway of our high school, I, as a seventh grader, looked across the hallway to the eye chart on the other side and could only read that letter at the top. Anybody know what that letter is? E. That's all I could read. I had no idea how poor my eyesight had become. I remember walking out a few weeks later of the optometrist's office and being amazed at all the leaves on the trees that I could see now. It was crazy. And each of us who wears eyeglasses or contacts has our own unique story of how we came to see clearly again. Just like each of us has our own unique story of how we came to see Jesus clearly by his grace. Like this blind man in Mark chapter 8. Now this is a unique healing in Mark chapter 8 for two reasons and in two ways. First, Mark is the only gospel writer who records this miracle. Now that doesn't mean that this miracle isn't a big deal, that it's unimportant. It means that the timing of this miracle fits perfectly with the point Mark is making because Jesus giving sight to this blind man is a pointer to and a metaphor of the work that Jesus is doing in the hearts of his disciples. He's opening, and you can see it right here in this text, Jesus is opening the eyes of the disciples' hearts to the truth of who he is. And that's why it's significant that this healing follows hard on the heels of the disciples. You remember last week? Remember they're worried about not having any bread, even though Jesus, the great provider, is with them, even though they've just come off Jesus feeding the 4,000? And they aren't connecting the dots between who Jesus is and what they need. Remember what Jesus says back up in verse 18? Having eyes you do not see. You're blinded by unbelief. You don't really get or grasp who I really am. And then in the very next section of verses, Jesus gives sight to this blind man, which is the lead-in then to verses 27 through 30, where Jesus asks the disciples life's most important question. He's going to see if they have come to get it. Can they see it now? And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And for the very first time in Mark's gospel, 
one of Jesus' disciples confesses that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is the, we're halfway through the gospel, and this is the first time one of the disciples actually comes out and says, Jesus, you are the Christ. It's taken the disciples a while to see that. But isn't that a lot like our story? Didn't, take, didn't it take us a while to see that too about Jesus and to say that about Jesus, that he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, he is my Lord and my Savior and my King. And notice here that their ability, the disciples' ability to see who Jesus really is has come in stages. It's come in phases, little by little, inch by inch, step by step, story by story, phases. And that's the second reason this healing is unique. Because every other time Jesus heals, he heals completely and immediately. But not this time, not with this man. This is a two-phase miracle. This miracle has a part one and a part two. But that isn't because Jesus is having an off day. It isn't because Jesus forgot to eat his Wheaties that morning. It's because this two-part miracle is intentional and uh, purposeful. The two phases of this healing are a real-world picture of the way His grace works in our hearts and in our lives. It's about how we come to see the truth of Jesus more clearly and follow Jesus more closely and love Him more dearly. One phase, one step at a time. And so if you've been born again by the Spirit of God to embrace by faith alone the Son of God, then this blind man's story is your story. It's how you were saved by Jesus. And it's how you are being sanctified now in Jesus. It's how you're growing to become more like him. And so the big idea of this text is the grace of Jesus makes the blind to see. Now, I know that none of you are going to walk out this morning and say, wow, I am just blown away by that big idea. It's a simple but powerful big idea. The grace of Jesus makes the blind to see. And may God help us to never get over that simple but powerful truth. Amen. It's the grace of Jesus that makes the blind to see. And that's such a big deal that it is the turning point in Mark's gospel. And so we need to think for a moment about the structure of Mark's gospel. Because there is a major shift happening here in Mark 8. Mark has been focusing on Jesus' public ministry where Jesus has been hanging out with, a, with big groups of people. He's been doing a lot of miracles, a lot of big group teaching. That's really act one in Mark's gospel. And with this miracle now, Jesus is drawing the curtains on act one, on, on his public ministry. And he's beginning to open the curtains on the second act where he's going to focus on preparing his disciples for his impending death. So we're going to see a lot of Jesus. We're going to see Jesus getting a lot of alone time and personal time, preparation time with his disciples as he is preparing them for act three in Mark's gospel. And that is his death and resurrection, the passion of Jesus. 
Now, there is an application for us just even in the structure of Mark's gospel, how he puts it together. It's something to help us see the grace of God clearly working in our lives because, because let me ask, can you see the future clearly? No. But can Jesus see the future clearly? He doesn't just know what's coming in his life. He knows what's coming in his disciples' lives and in our lives. And he's always preparing us for that. That's act two in Mark's gospel. Beginning right here in Mark 8. Listen guys, I'm going to die. And for the first time in just a few verses down in verse 31 and 32 and 33. Jesus is going to announce to his disciples that that's what it means for him to be the Messiah. That he is going to die. And that's going to be hard for them. And they aren't going to get that about him. And it's going to mean it's going to cost them something to follow him. And he is beginning now to prepare them for his impending death. He's always preparing us for what's coming. That's grace. It's true in your life this morning. Listen carefully. We will never face anything tomorrow. That our God isn't preparing us for today. We will never face anything tomorrow. That he isn't preparing us for today. That's grace. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 34. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listening today's grace is preparing you for tomorrow's issues. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't let your mind go to all the what ifs, the financial what ifs, the family what ifs, the health what ifs. Have you considered this? That with God there are no what ifs, there is only what will be. And he is the one who is taking you by the hand like he is taking this blind man by the hand. The one who holds tomorrow holds you. And that's something the disciples will learn as Jesus prepares them for his death. They will come to see the grace of Jesus more clearly, which is the point of this man's story. And it all begins with Mark telling us where this miracle takes place. It takes place in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's significant because Bethsaida is where Jesus has fed the 5,000. So the people in this area have had a front row seat to Jesus, to his teaching, to his miracles. But there's also a sense, a sense in which they've had a backstage pass to Jesus. Because for three of the disciples, this is their hometown. We've got Peter and Andrew and Philip. They grew up walking these streets on this town. And we need to remember that Mark is not one of the 12 disciples. And so he's receiving his information. He's getting the eyewitness information from Peter. And then Mark is writing it down. And so I can just imagine a conversation like this happening between Peter and Mark. Where Peter says to Mark, Mark, I want to make sure you write about Jesus healing this blind man because it happened in my hometown. I love that because it reminds us that the disciples are just like us. 
You remember things that happened in your hometown? There are a few things that stick out in my memory about my hometown of Adrian, Missouri, like 1982. I think it was probably May of 1982 when I was at baseball practice. My dad was my coach, and all of a sudden the, the, the skies just opened up and turned black, and, and we ran under the shelter house, and then we could see in the southwest a funnel cloud coming down to touch earth. And a tornado in May of 1982 ripped through our town of Adrian, Missouri. And then in 2002, our high school football team won the state championship. Hometown events are significant to us, just like they are to Peter. And so he ensures that Mark records this miracle because when the hometown boys are back in town with Jesus, people take notice and they bring a blind man to Jesus. And they begged Jesus to touch him. Now, we can fly right by that phrase because that's how people tend to respond to Jesus. He's in town. They know that he can make the lame to walk and the, and the deaf to hear and the blind to see. But what's significant here is how the people frame their request. They don't just ask Jesus to heal this man. They ask Jesus to touch this man. And that's significant because in Jesus' day, blind people were thought to be cursed by God. It's what we read about the blind man in John chapter 9, where the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the Jews considered blindness to be God's judgment, and so you keep your distance from blind people. They're outcasts, they're beggars, they're unclean. You avoid them at all costs, but not Jesus. Jesus won't leave this blind man stigmatized or ostracized. Instead, Jesus reaches out to him. And he takes him by the hand. And he leads him through the village and out of the village, around trees, over rocks, through ravines, and every step of the, of the way, Jesus is walking with him to the place where Jesus will give sight to him. This is our Jesus. Close connected with us every step of the way before our eyes were open to him he was bringing us to the point where he would open our eyes to him that's the work Jesus did in us the same work he's doing in this man and with this man here And now we can look back and we can clearly see how his hand was leading us and guiding us and bringing us to the place where where he would open the eyes of our heart to him in faith. It's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace 
will lead me home. It's no happy accident that Jesus meets this man in Bethsaida. His story is my story. It began long before I was ever born. I can trace this back to the 1950s, two decades before I was born. And it begins with a man in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I don't even know his name. But one morning he knocks on my grandparents' door and asks, Can I take your children, my dad and his two sisters, to Sunday school and church? And through that one knock on that one door in Tin Village in Fort Wayne, Indiana in the early 1950s, my dad came to faith in Jesus. And 25 years later, on January 1 of 1976, Jesus opened my eyes to his grace and I trusted in him as much as a four-year-old boy could. Your story will be different than mine. But there's something all our stories have in common. It's that the grace of God was working through many people in many ways over many years. All of it, in a sense, Jesus taking us by the hand to lead us and guide us and bring us to faith in him. So the next time you doubt Jesus' love for you or question his plan for you or wonder if his grace is enough for you, just look back at all the grace he's put into opening your eyes to him just like he does with this blind man who is standing with him outside the village And Jesus turns to him, and then Jesus spits on his eyes. Now, this is like this is like two out of the last three weeks. We've talked about Jesus spitting. Um, Young people, especially young guys, this is not God's permission for you to become a spitter. All right, and moms, you can thank me later. Okay. In our culture, spitting is considered what? It's considered offensive. It's considered insulting, especially to spit on someone. In fact, it can be considered criminal. And in a very real sense, it was in Jesus' day too. Do you remember when Jesus is arrested? And the high priest spits in the face of Jesus. And those who come to the cross are wagging their fingers and spitting on Jesus. But it was also true that in Jesus' day, saliva was thought to have healing properties. By the way, that's still true today. I mean, we do it all the time. If we cut our finger, what's the first thing we do? I see some of you doing it right now. You you pop that finger into your mouth, right? You're like, maybe you do, but I don't. It's almost an involuntary reaction. When we, when we do something on our hand, immediately we pop it into our mouth. It's like our grandson Wesley. Everything goes in the mouth. And with Jesus' saliva, Jesus is communicating to a man who cannot see that healing is coming. 
when he lays his hands on him and asks, do you see anything? And the man looks up. I love that phrase. Again, we can fly right by that phrase. But how long had this man been looked down upon because of his blindness? How long had it been since anyone said to him, look up? How long had it been since he could look up? I mean, we really think that this man at one time could see, but somehow, someway lost his sight because when he looks up, he says, I can see men, but they look like trees walking. So he can see, but things are out of focus. And Jesus knows that. Remember, this is a two-stage miracle that's intentional and purposeful because it's about to become personal for the disciples. You remember those old black and white TVs? Back before cable and satellite and streaming services. Back when you got your TV signal out of thin air. Remember those TV sets? By the way, young people, we used to refer to TVs as TV sets. Remember that? Remember that? Because they came fully equipped with rabbit ears and dials. And the whole purpose of the rabbit ears and dials was to bring the picture into what? Into focus. That's this man. That's these disciples. He can see Jesus. They can see Jesus. It's just that the picture is out of focus. It's all fuzzy and blurry and shadowy. And that's what the disciples are seeing too. Not with the eyes in their heads, but with the eyes in their hearts. And so this blind man then becomes a mirror in which the disciples see themselves. They aren't totally clear yet on who Jesus is. They've left everything behind to follow him. They've left homes and families and jobs. But they aren't all in on Jesus yet. And so if we were to hit the pause button on this scene, and if we were to pull the disciples aside and ask, okay, what's the word on Jesus? Who really is he? They'd say, well, well, obviously he's a great teacher. He's definitely a prophet from God. And he's got this miraculous power to work miracles. But the Son of God? I mean, the Messiah? Hmm. We just aren't there yet. The disciples see Jesus, but it's like the picture is all fuzzy and blurry, and so they need Jesus to do a work of grace on the eyes of their hearts, just like he does with this man when he lays his hands on his eyes a second time. And this time when the man opens his eyes, he can see not just anything, he can see everything clearly. Men look like men, trees like, uh, like trees. He's got 20-20 vision. It's more proof to the disciples that Jesus really is the Son of God. But even more than that, it's evidence that the grace of Jesus is powerful enough to enable them and us to see Him for who He really is.
Do you? Do you see Jesus for who he really is? Is he your Lord, your Savior, your King, your Messiah? Do you see the evidence here that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he's come to rescue us and save us and open our eyes to who he is, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves? This man, can't, he can't heal himself. He can't overcome his blindness. He can't give himself sight. Jesus has to come and do that, and Jesus does. Do you see the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, all of it right here in this scene. Do you see? But as clearly as this scene highlights and paints that truth about Jesus, there is a scene that makes it even clearer. It's the scene of Jesus on a cross where he doesn't just take a blind man's stigma upon himself and give him sight. On a cross where he takes sinners' condemnation upon himself and gives them salvation. It's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 where the Bible says that God the Father made God the Son, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see what that means? Do you see the grace of Jesus in coming to us in going to the cross and the Father laying on him every one of our sins as if he had committed every one of my sins? And Jesus answering for it in full, the wrath of the Father being poured out and laid upon the Son for me on my behalf. We're touched by Jesus' touch in this text. The closeness of Jesus to this blind man. But there's no place on earth that Jesus comes closer to us than when he dies on a cross for us in our place. You see it. The love, the grace, the mercy. So that by grace, through faith, we are saved. Not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't do it. We can't open our blind eyes. We can't work our way into our Father's good graces. Only Jesus can and Jesus does. That's why he comes. And this little scene here in Bethsaida is a pointer to and a picture of what Jesus will do on the cross. It's grace by which he opens our eyes. Have you believed? Have you trusted in him? Have you come, in, come to him uh, bowing the knee and embracing Jesus Christ by faith alone, believing that he is enough for you like he was for this blind man? You can do that right here, right now where you are. And when you trust in Jesus, you'll have a story to tell just like this man. But then Jesus surprises us and he tells us, as he tells this man, listen, don't go back into the village. 
Don't go back into Bethsaida where the people are waiting for you. They want to make a spectacle of you. Instead, Jesus tells this man what my parents used to tell me all the time, go straight home. And that's because Bethsaida has seen and heard so much from Jesus. But every step along the way, they have refused to believe on Jesus. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 21, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But Bethsaida, you're blind. You're like this man. And so you won't even see if he comes back into town. You won't see me because I'm not a great showman or a master magician. I'm a savior. And you're blind to that truth. And so I won't let you make a spectacle of this man. Instead, Jesus sends this man home back to the ones who know him and love him and will rejoice with him in the work that Jesus has done for him. I can imagine him opening the door and looking into the eyes of his family for the first time in a long time. And he says to them, I once was blind, but Jesus has made me see. It's a simple powerful phrase so let's let that phrase take root in our hearts this morning through three takeaways as we walk out of this room number one we learn from this scene to be patient with people whose spiritual progress seems slow if our eyes have been opened by God's grace It's only because he's been patient with us. We know grace, and so we show grace. Jesus has invested nearly, when we come to this point of Mark's gospel, we're two years in. He has invested two years in the lives of his disciples, and they still don't see him for who he really is. And even when next week we unpack verses 27 through 30 and Peter gives the right answer, he has the wrong picture. He's expecting a king, a Messiah with a kingdom, with crowns and streets of gold and lots of good news and lots of power. A king in all his glory. Not a criminal on a cross. But that's who Jesus came to be. Two whole years, and it's still so fuzzy to these guys, but Jesus doesn't quit on them. And can I be transparent with you? I need to hear this. I need to hear this as a pastor. Because growth and progress in the church never happens as quickly as I would like. And not just in the number of attenders who come on Sundays, but in the lives of us as God's people growing and maturing in our faith and progressing to love Jesus more and follow him more closely. I must be patient. This text applies to me. I must keep on believing that the truth of Jesus is enough to grow the people of Jesus. Would you pray that I will have that patience? The same kind of patience that Jesus has had with me. And just like he's had with you. And so if you're a Sunday school teacher or you're a kids ministry worker or a small group leader. And things aren't progressing as quickly as you would like. 
and you're wondering if you're having any impact at all, just remember Jesus and this blind man. Remember, he's the one who gives sight to the blind. He's the one who opens the eyes and hearts to the truth. Just be faithful. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep being who God has called you to be with that friend who needs Jesus, with the husband who's hard to love, with the child who's hard to parent, with the roommate who's hard to live with. In all of it, be patient with the people whose spiritual progress seems slow because let's be honest, following Jesus isn't always pretty. It's often messy. That's the second takeaway. One of the truths we learn when, le- when reading Mark's gospel is that following Jesus isn't a one and done thing. It's an every moment of every day thing. It's a journey with ups and downs over mountains and through valleys in sunny days and foggy nights where we can't see clearly what God is doing just like these disciples. And Mark wants us to know, listen, 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 listen. That's the normal Christian experience. That's normal. That's why he spends a lot of time, Mark does, telling us about the doubts and struggles and failures of these disciples. He doesn't whitewash these guys. He shows us who they really are, warts and all. And yet, 11 of these guys, don't forget, 11 of these guys are the real deal. They are the real thing. And Mark wants us to see that the real deal and the real thing still needs a lot of everyday grace. Not just saving grace, but sustaining grace and sanctifying grace. All of it working in these 11 men's lives as sufficient grace. So don't get discouraged when your walk with Jesus seems messy. Or that your progress seems to come so slowly. Don't quit. Don't give up. If you've seen the truth of Jesus, but there's still so much you don't get about Jesus, know that grace has visited you. And in the messiness of your life, God is still for you. He's working in you and working on you. So thirdly, be committed to the lifelong process of spiritual progress. Be committed to the lifelong process of spiritual progress. Listen, please. Please listen, because I think evangelical, even conservative evangelical Christianity in America misses this today. Spiritual growth and progress isn't about the big wow moments. It's about the little everyday moments. Think about it. Think about it. We would consider these miracles of Jesus to be the big wow moments These disciples have been there for all these miracles. And yet their faith is still fuzzy. You know why? God doesn't grow our faith through those few occasional miraculous moments. But through a series of little everyday steps. Of following Jesus. And learning Jesus. And trusting Jesus. And so the question is, am I committed to that ongoing, everyday, lifelong process? To the time and effort it takes. 
Am I willing to embrace the many experiences and difficulties through which God will progressively open my eyes to his truth? It's one of the things I have to remember as a pastor. That God isn't going to grow this church through the big wow moments, but through the every week faithful teaching of little texts with big truths like this. His grace is enough. Am I willing to see what he's showing me in the everyday to follow in the way he's leading me? After all, I once was blind, but now I see. And so let's respond to his grace by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, show us. Show us your grace. is just as active and real in the small everyday moments where nothing significant is happening from our perspective. But you're growing us little by little, inch by inch, step by step. Help us to see that and be committed to that. So Christian, can I ask you, are you? Just doing the little things in following Jesus, reading his word, spending time in prayer, being around God's people week after week, ready to hear and listen to his word. The little things. Are you committed to that? Are you progressing? by his grace. And then if you're not a Christian this morning, I just want to ask you straight up, would you become one right now? You see Jesus' grace, you see his kindness, you see his mercy in in real life, not just touching a blind man, but dying on a cross. Would you by grace right now bow the knee to Jesus, confess your sin to him, And confess your faith in him. And he will save you. Right now. He is a worthy savior. In Jesus name. Amen.